if you're first time with us. Our kids go to children's church. They hear the gospel in their language with their arts and crafts. It's a little awkward having the arts and crafts in the sanctuary. So we decided to move it upstairs this morning. So it's there for you. Um, Today is a great day. It is the middle of summer, and we're very blessed and thankful that you're here this morning. You could have chosen to do a lot of things with your time, yet you gather here as the people of God to worship the Lord, to hear from his word, and to worship together. And we're very blessed and thankful that you have chosen to join us this morning. We're in a midsummer series called The Joy in Giving, and uh, I hope it's been challenging for you. Always when I preach the gospel, the word of God, it challenges my heart and mind as much as it does you. So just just to let you know that it is challenging me um, of what it means to be joyful in giving. The first week we looked at how God's economy works. He is the gracious giver, the gracious provider in which he provides everything that we need. And out of his provision, we give to others. And it brings about this thanksgiving to God, not only for the people that we give to, but also in our own hearts and minds. Last week, we saw a changed life through the story of the man Zacchaeus, how God changes our view of money and resources. Zacchaeus was once a man who would do anything to get money. He would take people's money. That was his job as the tax collector. He would take more than he was supposed to, and he would be very, very rich. And yet, he encountered the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And when he encountered him, his life was transformed. He gives away half of his goods, and he experienced the love that God has for him. This last installment in the summer series, uh, after that we can go back to our book of Acts and the power of God and what God wants to do in our own lives. But before we do that, we're going to ask a simple question according to this text this morning in Matthew chapter 6, which is really not a simple question. It's a very deep and challenging question as this This text of scripture hits at home of the heart of people. It hits at home. It hits us very deeply in Oklahoma City. It hits us very deeply in our American culture. And ask the question, who is your master? Who is it? He ends the section and Verse 24 with, you cannot serve both God and money. Seems to be one of the most challenging sections of scripture. It it drives a stake in the ground and makes it plain for us as humans to understand that there is no middle ground. You cannot serve God and serve money. There is only one Lord. Jesus actually makes these statements in giving the Sermon on the Mount. 
And, and not only in this statement, but many statements through this text, he strikes a nerve to Pharisees and the people that are listening to this sermon. And he may strike a nerve this morning with us. Because when we're finished reading this passage, we can feel the reality of the gravity of the situation. The reality of life and stuff placed next to the God of the universe. And he says, which one are you going to live for? Who do you worship? So let's open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We'll start in verse 19. I was intending to do 19 through 34, but I couldn't get there. I had to stop at 24, else you would be here next week. So we're going to stop at verse 24 this morning. Matthew chapter 6, 19. This is who is your master. If you'll stand with me in the reading of God's word this morning, we will hear what Jesus has to speak to us according to his word. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God And money. You can be seated. Let's pray. Ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father, we thank you for your word that it speaks to us in such a way, Father, that it chisels the hardness of our heart. Lord, we are a people who have experienced your grace in many ways throughout our life, help us to remind ourselves of the grace that you have given us through Jesus Christ. His death, his burial, his resurrection. Help us to experience the grace this morning as we hear from your word and your truth and are reminded that we serve a great and beautiful God. Who is, Father, way better than money. Lord, we thank you and praise you for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. John D. Rockefeller is an oil man. In the late 1800s, he founded Standard Oil. He's regarded as one of the richest man to ever live. He had a near monopoly on oil. Almost 90% of the oil industry he owned. 
Uh, he was very rich. He ended up giving away $530 million. Uh, Rockefeller Center in New York City named after him. His son was one of the heirs of his wealth. His son was named John D. Rockefeller Jr. And he was a successful banker working for Chase Manhattan Bank. And I, and I was reading this, these people. I like to study sometimes people. And I was reading about uh, John D. Rockefeller Jr.'s death. And his, shortly after his death, someone asked his financial advisor this question. He said, he was one of the richest men in the world. How much did he leave? To which the advisor answered, Everything. There are really two certainties in this life that most people would agree upon. One is that at some point everyone will die, right? We can pretty much agree on that. And when that time comes, the other certainty is. Everything that you have accumulated over your lifetime, all the things and possessions you have, you will leave behind. Job said it best in Job 121. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The, The accumulation of wealth is often what we would call the American dream. Um, one, one might even spend their whole lifetime accumulating wealth. Um, let's just take an imaginary friend of mine. His name is Larry, okay? Larry is 16 years old and he needs a car. So he goes and he gets a part-time job. He's responsible to get a part-time job to pay for his car. Young, young Larry, a couple of years later, has a choice to make. He can either get a, get a full-time job, a, a, a better job, or he might even want to go to college and to make even a, a better job. Larry may choose college or he may choose to, to work full-time, but let's just say Larry graduates college. His parents are... Now sighing a sigh of relief because now Larry can live his own life. He can afford his 30-year mortgage, right? He can have his own house based upon his income level, whatever he's doing. And at some point, let's just say Larry has a family. He has some kids. He has a wife. He realizes his job is really not keeping up with the Joneses that he's around. So he might even go to night school, maybe grab a master's degree, start a business on the side, um, network marketing. You know, whatever he decides to do, right, he does. And now he has kids to take care of, maybe even dual income in his home. The more money he has the more toys that he gets. And at some point, his kids graduate. They are sent off, just as Larry's parents did. And 
they get to their years, the end of their years, and they start making sure that they have that retirement nest egg in their 401k. At that point, they can buy the beach house that they've always wanted, retire, and end well. Now, that may be the story of a lot of us in this room. The Bible speaks highly of those who work hard. And I believe the story of Larry is admirable. But if there's nothing added to that story, I believe that at some point, Larry will probably become a slave to his money. He spent most of his life working towards that fact. He will end up treasuring his treasure instead of treasuring his God. If there's nothing added to the story. So what can break the cycle? What can change the way that we view or look at money? And I believe it is treasuring God. I believe that it, when we treasure God, then we will live generous life. You see, God's grace is shown to us through God's gift. And his gift was Jesus. Jesus who died on the cross on our behalf. The grace extended to sinners who are destined for hell, eternal damnation and separation from God. God loved us so much that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel changes our desire and our heart and our money no longer is the dominant driving force of our life. God's mission, his plan, his purpose for our life now trumps the green dollar. And our work, which was once to enjoy these possessions, now becomes to enjoy our God. So we can further his kingdom. Because we care more about the eternal destiny and lives change than things in which moth and rust destroy. God's people reflect the gospel in their generosity and they find joy and a privilege in serving God in that way. So let's look at this text this morning. Verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is point number one this morning. It says this. Giving reflects and protects our heart for God. It's all about the heart. Giving reflects and protects our heart 
for God. Have you ever had anything of value to you break, right? I'm sure you have. It's devastating. It's devastating. I can remember living in Tulsa. Um, Jordan and I had put everything we had onto our down payment onto our house. So we're starting our jobs, just finishing college, and we have this new, you know, small house, and and we we have everything on our down payment, and so we have, you know, a few hundred dollars to our name. Like, when we walk in the door our first day of work, we have a few hundred dollars to our name. And both of us combined. And um, in, the, in the middle of the night, something happens, and there's this big boom, crash, bang. Something happens, and we're like, whoa, what's going on? And we walk out into the little dining room. It's all connected. It's all like one room, but it, it, it was this little dining room, and the wall had come down, and the house, and... <laughs> And Jordan begins to cry. Our house is going to fall apart. It's just not going to make it. What did we buy? Did we buy a money pit? And, uh, you know, we, we found out that it just had, something had happened. And it was, I just put it back on there. And it was good. I mean, but, but when I was little, I had this, 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 this one toy that I really wanted, right? And, and this one thing that I really, really wanted. And it was this RC Bandit, it, if, it, Turbo Bandit. If you, if you know, it's RC control car. And uh, it's like a little pickup truck. And it was in 1990. I'm dating myself here. But 1990, this is what kids did, okay, young people. This is what they did. They played with RC control cars. And, and kids that are now my age, they play over across the street at the RC control car place over there. But, but anyway, they... They did this at six years old, and I remember getting this car on Christmas Day. I mean, this was a pretty expensive car. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, $5 Walmart thing. It was, my parents put some money into this thing, and I ripped open the package and just took the car out to the parking lot and just driving around and, and and you know, getting a little confident driving that little little car, and I'm like, oh yeah, it's going over the curb. And, you know, you, you turn in that wheel and, and you're going fast and you feel the speed and goes in the air and you're like, wow, this car is awesome. And then, boom, turns over, flips, hits the concrete. The wheel did not turn anymore. It was broken But think about this. The best clothes that you have right now, they'll probably be out of style at some point. The coolest car, it will have to go to the shop at some point. The six-pack that you have currently, I know you have it, it will droop. It will. Your hair will start to thin. It will happen. Business plan, job. There's always somebody trying to take your market share. In your job, there's some hot shot with his tech gadget stealing your next promotion. You know? Reality. It's life. 
And yet God says, lay up for treasures where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. See, the, the Greek word for lay up and treasure come from the same basic Greek term. In English, the term is thesaurus. In the Greek, it's thesario or thesauroso. So the literal translation could be, do not treasure the treasures on earth. It, it, this, this, this treasuring the treasures or laying up treasures on earth has a connotation of stacking, laying out horizontally as one would stack coins. You think of Ebenezer Scrooge as he's stacking his coins. The idea is to stockpile or hoard wealth not even being used. That, that's the thought process. You know, in, in no way is Jesus advocating poverty. He's, he doesn't even say, give it all away. He did to the rich young ruler to show him his need for Christ, to show him his sin. You know, even the Bible says to enjoy the blessings of God. Did you know that? You know, you know. Usually, there's there's these people on the side that's like, we gotta live in a hut in Africa if we want to obey God, right? And then there's these people who are like, we gotta have all our money here. And God's like, enjoy what I've given you. First Timothy six seventeen says this: As for the rich in this present age. Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Can I repeat that? Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Hmm. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So interesting. The Bible. The the tensions in the Bible. Right? Enjoy the blessings of God, yet be generous. Right? The tension of really it's about the heart, of about understanding who God is and recognizing his beauty and in your wealth, in the the money that God has given you, love the Lord. So interesting. And God has not only provided us money wealth but he uses those things for good works that's what the text says to be rich in good works look at verse 20 but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven neither moth nor rust destroys where neither thieves do not break in and steal storing up treasure that will last being rich in good works, investing your life into people who will carry the mission of God. 
That is what will last. Giving of yourself to someone so that they can experience the grace of God. Treasures that will last for eternity. Because at the end of your days, they will say, well, he had a lot of stuff, but man, he was stingy and mean. Or they will say, man, that person gave his life and his money in such a way that impacted the lives of people. Remember our friend Larry at the beginning we talked about? What if at some point in his 30-year mortgage, he realized that his life was more about impacting lives for the kingdom of God than getting to his 1.75 million 401k? What if his life was spent being generous with people? What kind of treasures would he make for the kingdom of heaven? My granddad had a shirt that said, life's too short not to eat popcorn. Okay? I think we ought to make a shirt that says, life is too short not to be generous. Life is too short not to give of ourselves, of our time, of our money for the kingdom of God. It's just not. Jesus tells a parable of the, the brevity of life. And he tells it about the, in Luke chapter 16, verse 19. I'm going to read the parable to you. It's a story. It's a rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores. He desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. More even, the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died, and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. So his life is filled up in three sentences, right? One guy's rich, he has nice clothes, he has good food. He has gates. The other guy is poor. Nothing comes of his life. He just eats scraps. Dogs come and lick his sores. He can't even move because he's so invalid. Poor man died. He was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and he was buried. Left behind his wealth. In Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm in anguish in this flame. You see, you see the, the, the grace that the rich man wanted to, to he, he wants Lazarus to show him the grace that the rich man ought to have shown Lazarus the poor man. You see the dichotomy here. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus 
in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house for I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. A picture, right, of a rejection of the gospel. So much more than that. We are so much more than people of purple cloth and fine linen who eat well every day. We are more than that because God in his grace has shown us what grace looks like for us. So what we hold as treasure, our heart and our actions They will follow. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, if we hold to the nature and the character and the beauty of God himself as our treasure, then we will treasure the things of God. If we hold our material possessions as treasure, we will treasure our money. 1 Timothy 6, again, 1 Timothy 6, 6 tells us, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through the craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Jesus tells another parable about the four soils and one of the soils is the the rich pleasures of life in which it chokes out the plant, the seed that grows and sprouts. It's choked out by the pleasures and desires of the world. Here in, in, in 1 Timothy, it says, for the love of money, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. So our first point this morning was this, giving reflects and protects our heart for God. I think we see that in scripture. Number two, let's look at verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad... Your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? This is point number two this morning. Generosity 
affects one's well-being. Generosity affects one's whole life. Interesting. How did you get that from here? This is an interesting text. Uh, I had to study it a long time. I'm sure you're riveted by what's going to happen here, right? Well, you're looking at this text and you're going, how is he getting that point from this? What is he doing? Is he going to gloss over this passage? This is a hard passage, right? What does this mean? I mean, do you ever think that? Do you ever get nervous for me up here when I get to like a passage like this and you're like, what is he going to say? And how is he going to deal with this? Like, I, I don't know. You might, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe you don't think about it, but I spent a lot of time looking at this. <laughs> I mean, one for one, though, it's in the middle of two clear texts that are clearly about money and giving, right? You have the first text in, in 19 through 21, and then you have the second text, which is in 24. His thought goes all the way through. He, he continues to go on in 25, all the way through 34. It's one complete text of Scripture. And so it would be very remiss for him to, to start a different subject in the middle here. And, and you can even go back to the beginning uh, uh, of chapter 6 and link it back to giving to the needy and talking to, about the Pharisees and hypocrites who give to be praised by others. But, but here, it is sandwiched in between two clear texts about money and giving. It's, it's, it's difficult to understand because we have the eye, which determines the light or darkness, right? The good eye or the, the healthy eye brings light to the whole body. But if the eye is bad, or if you have the evil eye, then the body is full of darkness. Think in terms of your eye today, literally. If you have eye that is good, you can see. The body functions well because the whole body functions in light. But if your eye is bad and you cannot see, there is no light and you stumble around in darkness trying to figure it out, okay? The Bible uses light and darkness as a contrast to show the kingdom of God and, the, and as compared to the kingdom of darkness or the desires of the world or the kingdom of Satan. The kingdom of darkness is separated from a holy God. First John tells us that God is light in him. There is no darkness. John 8, 12 says this, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 12, 35 says, the light is among you for a little longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. That's pretty, pretty elementary, right? But Jesus told Paul as well, that he would send Paul in Acts 26, 18 to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So how does this I relate to money and generosity? Well, Matthew chapter 20, verse 15 Matthew chapter 20 verse 15 is a parable and it has 
this thought of the bad eye. Jesus uses it in a parable. The parable is about laborers in a vineyard. One comes early in the morning. They agree to a price, one denarius. The others come later in the morning, then some at noon, some in the afternoon. Finally, there's only one hour left of work, and others come in and to work the vineyard, and they all get paid the same price. Now, they work their tail off from early in the morning, and they get the same price as the guy who, who works for one hour. Master gives out the prize. This is what it says in Matthew 20 verse 10. Now, when those hired first, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. So they're thinking that they're going to get more, but they receive the same as the guy who just worked for a few minutes. On receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour. You have made them equal to us who have been born the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for one denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Verse 15, here it is. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. All right, usually you're like, where's the evil eye here? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Verse 15, or do you begrudge my generosity? That's a paraphrase. In the Greek text, it literally says, is your eye bad because I am good? You might have a footnote or something in your Bible that tells you that. Is your eye bad because I am good? Do you begrudge my generosity? So what does the eye bad refer to in Matthew chapter 20? Piper says it refers to an eye that cannot see the beauty of grace. It cannot see the brightness of generosity. It cannot see unexpected blessings to others as a precious treasure. It is an eye that is blind to what is truly beautiful and bright and precious and godlike. It is a worldly eye. It sees money and material reward as more to be desired than the beautiful display of free, gracious, godlike generosity. So let me break that down. It cannot see the grace of God towards oneself and thus is stingy. And selfish with what they have. It's also used in Deuteronomy 15 in a similar way with loaning people money. In the seventh year, all the debt was to be forgiven in the promised land. So they were supposed to not have poverty in the promised land. They knew that they would, but they were supposed to not because all the debt would be forgiven in year seven. So as year seven approached, people wouldn't loan money out because they knew they wouldn't get it back. And Deuteronomy 15, nine is a response to that. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say the seventh year, the year of release is near and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing and he cries to the Lord against you. And you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging 
when you give to him because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. As a way of being stingy and seeing people as unworthy of your generosity, if I was to summarize Deuteronomy 15. So what is the evil eye or the bad eye? It's unable to see the grace that God has given you. And it's unable to see others as unworthy of your generosity. Proverbs 23.6 also translates the evil eye stingy. So let's read again to understand this bad eye truth that God is trying to give to us. 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, if you see the grace of God in your life, that God has given you and you are able to see others as in need of the same grace that God has given you, your whole body will be full of light. You will have joy. God's joy. But if your eye is bad, cannot see the grace that God has given you, feel like people are undeserving of your generosity, your whole body will be full of darkness. If in the light is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? The way that you understand the gospel will affect your whole life. The way that you see Jesus and the gift that he has given to you affects your well-being. You're either consumed with yourself and your wealth or you're, you're moved to grace. There's much rejoicing in generosity. Charles Dickens' novel, A Christmas Carol, is a great example. The bad eye versus the good eye, right? Ebenezer Scrooge is a crusty old miser who cares for nothing but himself and he lays up his treasures and he stacks his coins for his own well-being. He sees his life in the future and he sees himself dying, no one around, no one cares for him. And he says, I want to change my ways. And he begins to be generous. He provides Christmas dinner for others. He befriends people. He finds joy in his life. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the last point this morning. You've heard this before, but this is point number three. Love Christ, live his mission. You've heard that. You've seen it on our walls. It's what we do here at NWBC it is who we are. So yeah, God is stretching us together to do something here, to my understanding, that has never been done before. To give sacrificially more than we could think about giving because we love Christ and we want to live his mission. It's really that simple 
We want to put our money where our mouth is. We want to do what God has called us to do as a church. We're not devoted to our money. We're not devoted to our building. We're fully devoted to the Lord in a heart of worship unto him. This offering that we're about to vote on in a few minutes here is not about recognition or for praise, but an expression of gratitude and thanksgiving and greatness of our God. And the beauty of his salvation, which is evident among his people. So yeah, I'm pretty, the Lord has been speaking to me on being generous people. It's not that we can't have nice things, we do, and we enjoy those things. New worship center, new welcome center, lights in the gym, mission hub, chapel, prayer room, parking lot. But we also know that money is not our God. Money is a tool to be used for the Lord's purposes. And we find our self-worth and beauty as a body in God himself and not our bank account. I know that we have had in the past very difficult times at Northwest financially that we haven't been able to do even some of our own responsibilities that we needed to take care of as a body of Christ. And yet the Lord has lavished his grace upon us this last year, the last previous years, to be able to do more than we could ask or imagine. And I think that this, this thing that we are about to do will stir in our hearts a worship for our God and being a generous people, not only as a corporate body, but also as individuals who want to give freely with joy in our hearts because we understand the grace that God has given to us. This is what Galatians 3, 7 through 9 says. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. May we be a blessing to our city, to our world, and to the nations because of our faith in Christ. Love Christ, live his mission. One of the ways we can do that is by being a generous people.